Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the podcast based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guide. This is the ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 85 of Thrive Deeper. It's your old pal DJ Payne here and on this week's episode, Matthew and myself continue through the end of the book of Genesis through the story of Joseph. But before we get into that, we go through your questions. We amalgamated all the questions that have been coming in from the book of Genesis, catching up on a few that we had missed, uh, whether you had emailed them to us or got them to us on the Facebook page. However, you did them, we grabbed them, and we answered those questions first. That's a bulk of today's episode. And then we get into the book of Genesis. But first, can you believe it? We had a malfunction in the new equipment. I'll let Matthew tell you all about that. But thank you so much for downloading Thrive Deeper episode 85. All right, we're, Matt, we're in our new setup. It's still, we're still getting used to everything here. We've got a new desk. Yeah. It's a powered stand-up desk. Yeah, I gave it a go and the power turned off. (laughs) So you, you need to work on your. We need power to work on the fuses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we get, we're getting there. We're getting there. Matthew, Matthew saw a button here for the desk. Pressed it. The desk started to rise and everything turned off. Uh, but we've also got our uh, our new little uh, mixing board that everything is getting mixed into uh, here. It looks pretty impressive. It does. Yeah. We're getting professional. I know we're getting it finally. Yeah. Finally, in 2020, we're, right. we're moving into yeah. it. Now, listen, as we're as we're finishing up uh, the book of Genesis, we're in that final um, the final leg of the book of Genesis. We have got some questions, so I thought for this week's episode, we'll get into the questions first, mm-hmm. and then we'll join Joseph back uh, with Pharaoh, and we'll see what's happening. To All him. right. All right. How's Should that? Should I be nervous? No, 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 no. Some good questions. We've got a handful of questions. I've been out there looking for questions in Genesis, and good. I tried. Look. If I can pull back the curtain for a little bit here, and I know I've done this before, on a lot of question and answer podcasts, a lot of the questions are just made up by, you know, John Smith. You know, like a a lot of the questions come in from other places. Okay. I try to actually only bring you questions that are actually sincerely from people who have got questions about the things. Yeah, good. And if I have got a question, I'll bring it to you myself. Mm. But, you know, we've we've got um, a wonderful community out there following along and thrive. Both the podcast and the and the and the uh, daily reading. So the questions are coming up from this. Now this is going all the way back to Genesis six for this first question. Okay. Benjamin says from Genesis six, man's days will be one hundred and twenty years. In listening to the podcast, it sounds that this has been understood as a shortening the maximum lifespan of people, and this actually comes across quite clearly in the New Living Translation. I used to understand it that way. However, in the ESV, it seems less clear and it seems more likely that the ESV means that it's going to be 120 years until the flood comes. So so to give people an an idea, in the New Living Translation, it says, this is Genesis 6 and verse 3, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. In the ESV, it says, And then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, 
his days shall be 120 years. Mm, I, uh, I have and continue to understand that as God, uh, as initially uh, indicated, as God putting a limit, an outer limit on the life span of mankind. Now, interestingly, what we're going to see is that after this with Abraham and Isaac, and Je- they're all going to still live longer than this. Yeah. Uh, so we, we are, you know, it's, it's eventually going to be reduced down to that being the ultimate limit. Now, it's interesting in Psalm 90, which is a Psalm of Moses, that's where you get the, what in the old King James was the three score and ten, mm-hmm. which is the 70 years, you know, man's lifespan is three score and ten, 70 years. So like typically in the ancient world, that was kind of, it's acknowledged that that's about the, the average. average lifespan. But the 120 years becomes a sort of uh, outer limit eventually. And mm-hmm. I think that's what is being indicated here. That's my understanding. Okay, okay. So do we, in the sense that uh, we see the patriarchs from Abraham to Joseph leave, living longer mm. than 120, yep. is that a sign of God's blessing or is that an exception to the rule? No, I is think it is meant to be. I think it's a sign of uh, God's blessing. But, again, I mean, Moses, I think, dies at 120. So... Uh, you know, by by Moses, he, he's kind of the last one yes. to hit that limit. And then from there, we have man's average average life span being about seventy or eighty. Yeah, that's years, right. Yeah. Right yeah. To this day, I mean, really, I mean, we just heard news. I think the oldest person in the world just passed away, one hundred and twenty years old. Yeah. You know, type yeah. of thing. And so, and if you if you, I remember just recently, someone was telling me, you know, and I had an awkward conversation because their mum had passed away, and I said, oh, how old? And they said, oh, 96, and I was like, woof, that's a good innings. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, but I wanted it around longer, yeah. you know, type of thing. Yeah. It's an yeah. awkward thing. But it's even that in my mind I think 96, that's a pretty good run, you mm. know. Like, yeah. And so that's interesting. All the way back then thousands of years ago that, that limit yeah. was yeah, set and right. it's pretty much the same here. Okay, Benjamin, I hope that answered the question. If you've got any further development on that, please let us know. We had a wonderful, long essay from Natalie B. Natalie, thank you so much for contacting us. She had some lovely things to say about the podcast. She said, I wanted to tell you both how profound Thrive Deeper podcast is providing a beautiful space for me. I really appreciate the shoulder-to-shoulder stance as well as we engage in our individual individual relationship with the Father through the Son and the Spirit. Beautiful Beautiful words there from Natalie B. Thank you there. She did have a question, however. I'm going to try to pass it out because she's got a long question here. Mm -hmm. But she's talking about... In the in in you know my classic favorite story there the 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 prince of is it Shechem there and yeah. and the, uh, the the story of Dina and the Shechemites yeah yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> thank you yeah um, and the brothers avenging avenging yeah. her she's she bringing out the the she's observing that this is a beginning of a pattern of man taking things into their own hands mm. and running ahead of what father wanted to do yeah. And that, you know, she's talking about Jacob's response in there, that Jacob is wanting to pray and make amends and stuff like that. I guess the questions that she's she's asking there, she also has a great picture, like laying that story, as graphic as it is, across the story of Jesus and how, you know, uh, people are taking things into their own, mm. own hands and God using it for, for greater there. Yeah. So I think the question that uh, Natalie is, is, is asking here is, what do you think would have happened? If they follow their father's advice and prayed, what happens if they gave it over to God and didn't do mm. what they wanted to do? Would would God have handled it? 
Well, it's an interesting story, and and I I've actually thought a lot about this story since because it's um, it's a very curious story. Um, partly because initially my response to it was that it had something to do with preempting the conquest of the land. Yeah, uh, that was mine because because it it talks about um, it's very emphatic in the way that it talks it. It elaborates on the invitation of the Shechemites to intermarry with them. Let your, you know, let us take your daughters and you take our sons. And it's very, and and that raises that's kind of a red light moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they wouldn't do that. In, instead, they wipe them all out. Now I know this is a, a, a an unpalatable aspect uh, of uh, of scripture, and that's another subject that we'll talk about uh, in the future: the conquest of the land. But I did wonder whether it was preempting that. Uh, however, at the end of that, um, Jacob um, really comes down hard against his sons for what they did, and certainly what they did is extreme. And then in the uh, in the right at the end of Genesis, when uh, Jacob is prophesying over his sons and declaring their future, he he says about Simeon and Levi. Uh, it says, uh, Simeon and Levi are brothers, their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter into their council, let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Now, um, so they actually, as a result, uh, it, he says, I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in, in Israel. And um, so they don't actually get any particular portion of land allotted to them now, this is in the time of uh, in the future yeah. because of this act of violence. So okay. it's, really, it's really harshly condemned here. Yes. And, and here I think Jacob seems to be taking a kind of prophetic role. Because mm. so, my initial question was, does Jacob just con- – like is the text, is the author in a sort of a – you know, the um, – uh, the, the, I'm trying to think of who it was um, – like there's a like I wondered whether the writer wanted to, in, in a way, commend these, for not these brothers for not giving yes. into the intermarriage yes. and for taking this drastic measure. Yeah. You know, I wondered is the author actually in a way that preempts the conquest? Okay, and they I, were willing to go through with this, and I wonder the same thing. And that's but, what but I, Jacob can. However, it seems here that Jacob is in by the by God's spirit, is prophesying over them and saying, no, you did the wrong thing. Now, that's really interesting because it highlights the fact that the conquest then was only ever justified because in that one unique instance, Mm. the sin of the Amorites had reached its full measure, as God says to Abraham in uh, Genesis 15, that there would be a time a one-off, one and only time where judgment would be necessary. But apart from that... There's no it, – it does not justify that kind of extreme measure. We don't take it into our own hands. Yeah, that's we, right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so that's a very interesting question and, and, I, uh, and, and it relates to, uh, you know, a passage that um, I think in terms of its role, the story of Dina and the Shechemites, uh, I still have some question marks and I've, I think there's a bit of thinking yet to be done about that role. I have read about it but mm-hmm. I still have some unanswered questions and I'll let you know if I think of anything else. <laughs> it's it's deep. And again, I've got to be honest. I mean, the thing that attracted, like I I, I said, I love that story in Genesis yeah. as a kid. And I still there's still part of me that loves it because I and I I'm still like this. I'm the type of person who 
will find stories of fathers avenging their children. Yeah. You know, the movies that are made for yeah, us, like yeah. the Taken movies. Yeah. I love those. Yeah, yeah. It speaks to that really yeah. primal urge for justice that yeah. I think men, and I'm going to be sexist here, so I'm sorry, yeah. that I think men sort of carry with their family. We, we yeah. the Like I'll give you an example. I was in the gym, uh, you know, a little while ago and we're working out and when the when my instructor is like, okay, I want three more and my mind is telling me I can't do it. My body is like, nah, I'm spent. All of a sudden I go, right, if I don't do this, the terrorists have got my kids. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and you find that it's that same sort of primitive urge for justice yeah. that got me excited about that story as, as, yeah. as a young person and still to this day. But the bigger picture yeah. of that, I think maybe God is speaking – Acknowledging that primal urge and saying, "But no, this is yeah." This but don't take it in. So, so there is yes. there is that desire for retribution, which is a very human thing, and yes. I think it is speaking to that. Yeah. Uh, so the brothers, um, and they take this extreme measure. Now, the other thing that's in the background of the t- of this story of the story of Dina and the Shechemites is that the law of Moses actually did make provision for a situation where there was rape. Yeah. And it was. Um, where the woman was raped and impregnated, the, the person who raped the woman um, had the opportunity to take some level of responsibility. Now, I won't, get the, I won't get into the details of that because that opens up more questions. And, again, our remove from that historical context makes interpretation yes. of that law of Moses um, more complex. Anyway, so that's why I'm not going to go into the details of the law. Point is, is that there was a just provision uh, that was made for that situation and it was nothing like what they did you know what yeah, i mean so yeah. they are yes. th- they are actually transgressing transgressing what would later become uh yeah a, a law so I, there's and a number of at a number of levels it's an interesting it's an interesting in in the way that it it makes the conquest stand out as a necessary evil necessary but bad it's like um a necessary evil is when something bad is done, but it's the only thing Left that could do. be done yes. in that situation. Yep. Um, and it, it brings a uniqueness to that. This is not a reflection of God's justice or the way that God generally wants things done. I, I reread it again the other day, and the last insight I had from this personally yep. was I sort of had an aha moment that this that circumcision, and we sort of we sort of laugh and get a bit funny about circumcision. It turns yeah. into sort of like classroom humour, especially for us boys. But that was a sacred gift from God. That was like a yeah. signature move yeah. at the end of a wonderful covenant. And these lads had used that yeah. as a trick to kill people. Yeah, yeah. That, and, at and, another and, level, that's you've got a good point and there. I, and I felt the weight yeah. of, of God going, especially when we see they get judged yeah. very harshly in the future. Yeah. That prophetic thing, like part of that I think is God saying, yeah. you don't mess around with a sacred yeah. symbol that I've yeah. given you. that's a good point, yeah. So that was that's my last takeaway. Okay. I'm, I'm answering your question. I'm, I, hit, I don't know if this will come through, but yeah. I hit the mic because I'm still, and I know no one's watching me, but I can't help but speak <laughs> yeah. with my hands. You speak with hands. I don't know, what, I don't know if it's the English or the German side, but it gets the hands motions going. Uh, okay, 
We've got a repeat question here from Meg. Now, Meg, Meg T had a question a, a few weeks ago, and um, we, I've been messaging her off on and off through uh, the Thrive Today Facebook page, which mm. is a wonderful place to go and, and join the community and ask your questions there. Now, if you remember, uh, her question was from early in Genesis, and I thought we could revisit this just a short short bit because she had she had the wonderful audacity, and I say this in a mm. wonderful way, to come back and say, not happy with the answer. Right. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. Good. <laughs> and yeah. We lo- and we love that. We yeah. Love yeah. That. So I wanted to. I wanted to both honor Meg and say, hey, listen, if you're not happy with our answers, keep coming back. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Keep coming back. So Meg. Meg says here, and again, her question went very long last time, and I said you got to come back with one question. So her question is, are we in fact, from what we see in Genesis and the choices made by Adam and Eve? Mm. Are we made flawed? Are we born flawed? And her original question went on and said, we had a choice to eat from the wrong tree or not and we were so weak with the very first temptation came along, we, we took the option to sin. So were mm. we made flawed from the beginning and are we flawed now? Um, it's complex question. That is a complex question um, and it relates to the fact that uh, that Adam and Eve did not resist the temptation. Okay, that's let's just think about that for a moment. They didn't resist. Now, the question is, did they not resist the temptation because they weren't strong enough to? Yeah. Or did they not resist because it was a sheer exercise of an absolute freedom that was given them to self-determine? Mm-hmm. Now, authority and responsibility uh, imply freedom. Yes. Uh, okay. So, and the freedom to make the wrong the, choice. The freedom to make the right choice or the wrong choice. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I think you know we, we might. There's a problem with talking about the strength to resist a temptation, um, because it comes. It does come down to uh, a willingness, really. Like it's. Okay. I mean, it's it's a t- tough metaphor when we talk about the strength because we think physical strength. So we think if I haven't resisted it, it's because it was too heavy or something for me. Mm-hmm. But that actually isn't how the will works. We're, we're over-applying a metaphor to the will when we talk about a strength of the mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. Um, and that over-application of the metaphor becomes problematic here because it seems like, well, they, they gave in, they, they could not resist, so somehow they were limited in their in their strength of will. And, and it, I think that's there's a metaphor, application of a metaphor there that's problematic. And it also goes the other side of it to go, okay, you resisted this first temptation, but if I just worked out a temptation, if I kept coming back to you yeah. and got stronger and stronger temptation, yeah. at some point you're going to fail. Yeah. Which is not, which yeah. is not the, you know, that's not what, like I'm trying to get into that point of where the where that strength <clears throat> of will falls down. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and, yeah, and, and I get that. Um, that might not completely resolve the question because, you know, there were things, there was a deceptiveness to, you know, so their limited their limited sort of perspective or, uh, I mean, their innocence in a way... Was it the flaw? Was use, perhaps their, to, yeah, in to a way, yeah. To use Meg's language? To use because they, language. Didn't, they didn't really know about evil. Yep. So so they got, I mean, um, so it's, it's, a, it's you can't... See, this is the paradox here, 
it's, it's difficult to say that innocence, actual moral purity and in absolute moral purity for them, uh, it's, it's difficult to call that a flaw um, because that was the glory of how they were created, not knowing of good and evil. However, what they did know is that God had commanded them not to eat of the tree. Yes. And they were tempted and they exercised their free will. Yes. Um, and it's not, it wasn't a matter of strength. I think implied there is the fact that they did have the wherewithal. I'm going to avoid using the word strength because it's because of the metaphorical problem involved mm-hmm. there. Um, but they certainly did have the capacity, let me put it that way, to say no. Absolutely. It was a matter of, of freedom uh, to... And, and it was a relational decision, entirely relational. Um, who am I going to love? Am I going to love God? Am I going to worship God? Yeah. Am I going to obey God? Um, and in the end, they would they were tempted and they used their freedom to go the wrong way. Yeah, because their instincts. It's oh, I can't believe I'm about to do this, but bear with me, everybody. I'm about to quote Kanye West. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Been listening to Kanye's album, Jesus Jesus is King. And he's got a very interesting line on there, apparently a line that he took to his pastor and said, look, am I, can I use this? Am yeah. I theologically correct yeah. to use this? And he's got a song called Everything We Need, yeah. which was a reworking of another song that he had on a project before he became Christian. And he has a line that says, um, I'm going to mess up the line, but it's like can you, basically uh, – he references Adam and Eve and he says, you know, Eve took the apple from the tree and made a- and made apple juice with it. Mm. Can we put that apple juice back in the tree? Now, I know yeah. it's really weird yeah, yeah. and there's a lot of... There's no, a lot I, of I get the poetic kind yeah, of... Yeah, there's a poetic... Uh, yeah. Implications of that, yeah. Because yeah. it's a lot bigger than like just one apple. It's yeah. now apple juice. You there. can't undo that once you, can't you make undo it. it. Yeah. But his point in that, in and this is what just sprang to mind because of this song... His point in that is saying because he's got everything we need. We didn't need that apple. We should have left it on the yeah, tree. Yeah. Our first response should have gone to Father yeah. and saying, let me check with him, let me go to him. He's got what we yeah. need. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, you know, okay. bring, bringing that in there. Although it may not have been an apple. In fact, it probably wasn't. It an probably apple, wasn't an apple. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, um, so to get back to Meg's point, are we made flawed? No. It, it, the short answer is no, but but I, I want to do justice to the question because I think it's a good question. Yeah. And as I've said, I think the the problem in the question is an over-application of the metaphor of the strength to resist. I think that's possibly uh, what Meg might be getting to. Now, um, please uh, get back to us, Meg, and, and we're happy to continue that conversation. So I think the second part of Meg's question is, okay, Adam and Eve weren't created flawed. Yeah. Is Meg... DJ, uh, Matt, uh, us, yeah, yeah, this year, okay. are we made uh, flawed now? Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, well, um, we are flawed, yes. Yeah. Uh, we are flawed because of the uh, decisions that were made. So there was a, a corruption that was brought into human nature through uh, the choice of Adam and Eve. Now, even we actually know this that, um, <clears throat> that certain behaviours actually can have multi-generational effect. Like I have, uh, you know, a friend who came from a line of sort of eight generations of alcoholism and there was always going to be a propensity towards that or a weakness there. Oh, 100%. Uh, And uh, it's almost like there was something a little, not much less than determinative about that. Um, So 
so yes, this there, there is this sense of uh, of corruption that is imbued uh, into our nature that makes us um, prone to yes. doing the wrong thing. Yep, and that's both a physical thing and yeah. a spiritual. Yeah. So it doesn't thing. it doesn't mean that we are th- that we have done the wrong thing. That a newborn baby is uh, is a, a sinner in that sense, but that that newborn baby uh, is born because simply being human is born with the limitations and the uh, a sense of corruption in human nature. Uh, there's a lot more that could be said about. Yes. And there's a whole theology behind this, but I'm trying to not make this. No, no, uh, no, no. A, uh, but yes, that 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 is um, that that is true to say that we are. Lord, as as human beings from the time we come into the world. Okay, one last question on this. And Meg, you know, I'm, I, I don't know if I might be reading into this or or even trying to preempt where you're going with it. And please let us know if we, if, if we have. But I think this might lead into a future podcast that we might yeah. do down the down the track. Was Jesus Christ made flawed when well, he was born okay, a yeah. human? Well, this this is the interesting thing, and and I. Uh, the significance of Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit is precisely to avoid that uh, that implication. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that uh, the natural aspect of um, Jesus, of what Jesus would otherwise inherit, is kind of overwhelmed, as it were, or, or um, written over. By this divine action, so by being conceived by the Holy Spirit, it wipes away that flawedness. Now, I mean, the interesting thing about that is that there is still, and, and I say this cautiously, there are still elements of that flawedness in his actual humanity itself, because he is mortal mm-hmm. um, uh, and limited. Uh, so he's born with the sort of DNA the, 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 of, um, but we should be reminded also that being mortal isn't necessarily flawed because mankind was created mortal. Yes, go with me here. Yeah, because how did they get their immortality through the tree of life? Yes. Yeah. So the, the the it's actually not true to say that Adam and Eve were created created immortal. They were created mortal, but had the opportunity. To be mortal, immortality was communicated to them supernaturally through uh, the, tree. the tree of life. Yeah. Okay, so mortality is not uh, in, imperfection. Sinful. I think that not, yeah. I, I don't think we can say that based on uh, on, on the text. Um, and and there's certainly reason, no reason to think that the rest of the animal, you know, plants and animals were mortal. I mean, if Adam and Eve were created mortal yes. and had to draw their immortality from the tree of life, then I think it's um, – then I don't think we can say that the animal world were, yeah. was, was uh, immortal. So um, so Jesus' mortality doesn't necessarily make him imperfect, but I think he inherits a, a humanity a, a, that um, – like I don't think we have to say, for example, he was like this – Sort of Apollinarian had this Apollinarian kind of perfection to his, What's you know, that he was like the best, uh, best looking, the yes. ideal no, kind of human yeah. figure. No. Uh, sorry, excuse my, um, yeah, 
reference to <laughs> Greek mythology. Probably completely inappropriate. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, in this exactly. respect, uh, but uh, but I, I refer to that because in the way that Christ is often depicted in art is that he is depicted depicted in this Apollinarian fashion. So, yeah. for example, the back wall of the Sistine Chapel, the depiction of Jesus is notably Apollinarian, sort of the perfect And when you figure, mean Apollinarian, you mean like the Greek god Apollo. Apollo, yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. Okay, we're going to rest that one there <laughs> because I think that's a that's a whole nother... Um, so, I, you know, I would disagree a little with Michelangelo there, yeah. although, you know, I think he's... He, in his depiction of Christ, and it is at the return of Christ... He's using physical form to uh, denote perfection. Exactly. Anyway, that's enough Enough of that. All right, Meg, thank you for those wonderful questions. Hopefully we've got a little bit closer to you, but uh, stay tuned. In the next couple of weeks we're going we're gonna to be telling you how you can get m- some different questions uh, you know, mm. asked and answered as well. That leads perfectly, though, what you were just bringing up before. We had uh, Jack, uh, Jack S. Mm. has written to us uh, via email through the website, thrivetoday.net.au. And he said, hi, Matt and DJ, I want to give you a point about Jacob deciding whom he will marry and saying that he that his children and him and mm. before and Isaac would not marry a Canaanite woman. Now, he yep. said there's another very important understanding about this in the Jewish way of thinking is that Jewish – and you, you just reference this with Christ yeah. – Jewishness comes through the mother's line. Yeah. You're a Jew from the mother. Yeah. You're, you're, you know, and we see that in, you know, so yeah. he says, he says that, you know, the children will be Jewish if the, if the, if, if it's, it's, you know, from the same, if it's the mm. Jewish mother. So he said that's one of the reasons why he sees in these early patriarch stories the, the, the choices of whom they marry is very important. Yeah. About- although I'm not sure whether that is present yet in the patriarchal narratives. I mean, I, I don't think it's, it's not explicitly present anywhere uh, in Scripture. That's a tra- In fact, I'm not entirely clear, and I have some ideas, that emerges from the rabbinic tradition. It emerges because of the complexity of the Jews living in the diaspora, uh, of the um, increase of intermarriage. So, so where you have a mixed marriage, when, when is a person Jewish or not Jewish? So, so w- there's something that emerges from, the, from, from rabbinic discussions on this. So it's nowhere in the Bible? No, it's n- not, not that I... Uh, not that I'm not familiar that I, with. Yeah, not that yeah. I'm familiar with. So, um, uh, so I, yeah, I, I, th- I think that would be reading back into that uh, probably. Look, in any case, there is this importance put on... Tradition, uh, that tradition uh, of... Yeah, that of, of, uh, of marrying within the um, covenant community mm-hmm. is from the beginning very, very important. Yeah. Um, uh, and then in the Christian church marrying within the faith community, um, that that is something that's carried through. So, um, but the idea of the, of Jewishness being counted through the female line, uh, that's not present in scripture. It does come through in the rabbinic okay. material. Uh- <laughs> That's right. about, Jack. and I actually don't know much about the origins of that. Okay. So that's um, that, that's my that's my guess at that. Yes, uh, and I'm I'll leave it there. Yeah, Jack. There you go. If you've got any further questions about that or points about that, please let us know. You know how to get a hold of us. We would love love to hear from you. Okay, last question. I've saved. Can I? Am I allowed to say this? I've saved my favorite question to last. Here. Okay, all right. We, we got a question from Corey. 
I love this question. He's been going through Thrive and also reading a lot of Romans at the moment. Okay. And when he, he contacted me after this and said, when I say that I've been reading Romans, he has an audio book, the Street Bible, you know, the, okay. the, the Street Lights Bible, you know, with the with the yeah. hip-hop beats and the NL, yeah. uh, the New Living Translation read. He goes, I've just basically had the entire book of Romans on repeat okay. and I go to sleep to that every night. Yeah, yeah, and he good. said, all these questions are coming up now. Okay. And, he, and he got, he's in chapter four of the book of Romans and it talks yep. a lot about the Abraham mm. being the father of our faith. Yep. And his question says, Abraham's faith in the God that resurrects made him righteous. Mm. That's what it says in Romans 4. Who had been resurrected between Adam and Abraham that gave Abraham an example that there was even such a thing as resurrection? And he, and he quotes verse 17 of, of, of Romans 4. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father. Hang on, I'll read it from a different, um, I'll read it from a different, uh, different translation here. This is Romans uh, 4, 16 and 17. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift and we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the laws of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things mm. out of nothing. So Corey's question is, where did that come yeah, from? Yeah, and of course the writer of Hebrews uh, yes. mentions in Hebrews chapter 11 that uh, Abraham reasoned that God was probably going to resurrect him uh, yeah. from the dead. Now, <clears throat> I think um, I think that here there is more than just reasoning on Abraham's part because um, Abraham in this instance is embodying this prophetic moment. Okay, it's a prophetic moment. Now, this is, we've talked about this before. Often, this, I've said often the stranger the story, the more likely it is to have some kind of prophetic typological um, scope to it. Okay, so the strange story of Abraham offering his son Isaac. Uh, here, Abraham himself is embodying um, this, in a sense, playing the role of God who is going to give up his son and provide a lamb, even within a Jewish perspective um, before Christ, they would have understood that story as highlighting the fact of God making provision mm -hmm. uh, for um, uh, for the sins of his people. Um, I think from that New Testament perspective, and because and Corey's referring, and it's a great question, uh, by the way, um, uh, that, that Abraham in playing this typological role in this sort of prophetic moment uh, is um, perhaps uh, maybe has some intuitive connection because it's a prophetic moment, because it's prophesying Christ who is going to die and rise again. He, he, there, it has that... Um, bound up in, in the symbolism of what's happening there. So I'm, yep. I'm uh, giving my one and only son and the idea of that one and only son rising again from the dead mm. is just part of that prophetic message. Mm. And, and I think, uh, so yes, I think 
on the one hand, to take a minimalist approach, Abraham uh, could have reasoned that, well, uh, God said that he would reckon my offspring through Isaac specifically, and that's the case. So if I'm to sacrifice him, he must be going to raise him from the dead. Now, I don't think he had to have recourse to other traditions of people rising from the dead, and there are... Um, there are some myths in the ancient ancient Near Eastern religion that talk about uh, gods rising from the dead in a sense, uh, not really in the sense a lot is made of this, uh, uh, particularly in Greek mythology of, of the dying and rising God and, oh, that's where all of the idea of Jesus dying and rising, it's so different in nature. Um, uh, and... And it connects more with an innate hope in human beings, uh, an innate reach for reality. I think that that where mythology does carry that dying and rising theme, I think it is an expression of something that uh, is innate within us, something that God wants for us that is innate within us and reaching for that, and that's expressed through those uh, mythologies. So um, the whole idea of saying, oh, that just comes from that idea, just comes from that, you know. Yeah, the, I just I think that. that's I very, that stuff, yeah, yeah, it's so too simplistic. I listened to a, um, a, a podcast uh, with a sceptic saying that, oh, it all comes, the dying, rising God thing, it all comes from ancient mythology. It's, it's, it's actually, I've just, it's ridiculously simplistic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think he had to have drawn that idea. I think he... I think that's the only option available to him because he thinks I'm going to sacrifice my son. So, so yes, from a minimal point of view, I think Abraham would have reasoned that and because and it's the only option really he's got to sacrifice his son and, uh, you know, it's the how else is God going to reckon his offspring through Isaac but mm. raising him from the dead. So, but I think there is something more there. I think there is this prophetic thing. He is part of this prophetic moment there is a kind of divine inspiration at work. I think even giving Abraham the strength to go through that, um, but also to re- possibly to reason that way based on what actually he is symbolising in that instance, which is the uh, Jesus sacrifice, which involves him rising again from the dead. So I think there's a kind of inspiration in that moment as well to believe that given that the very event itself symbolizes Christ's death and resurrection. G'day family, it's DJ Payne here and thank you so much for downloading this episode of your favourite podcast, Thrive Deeper. We're about to uh, head back into the book of Genesis after we finished your questions and we love to get your questions. Make sure you head over to thrivetoday.net.au. Right there you'll find the links to our Facebook page and our Facebook group and you can ask us questions via Facebook or directly on the website itself, thrivetoday.net.au. Now, while I've got your attention, and for those of you who still listen through these bits here, I want to give you something. I want to give you a little date to circle on the calendar, all right? February 
the 14th. Yeah, Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is a time of love. And we love you guys so much. We're going to give you something very special on Valentine's Day. So keep listening in the next couple of weeks. And we'll let you know about the changes that are taking place here around Thrive Deeper. New stuff is on the way. We're changing the way we're doing things. And I hope you're going to be really excited. Excited as we are to bring you those changes. So Valentine's Day 2020. Circle the calendar. It's all happening here. Part of Thrive Deeper. Thrive today. So many good things happening on the way. All right, now let's get back into the book of Genesis on this week's episode of Thrive Deeper. Episode 85 of Thrive Deeper. It's DJ and Matt here with you. And we've just finished off your questions from Genesis. I think we got across all of them. Hopefully, if your question hasn't been answered, you can let us know and we can go for it from there. Now, listen, we're running out of time very quickly for this episode. So I thought, Matt, for this last little bit here, let's just touch on uh, setting up the scene for next week. Next week, we'll get into one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. Yeah. Brings te- I cannot read through this story without getting emotional every time. Mm. It's Joseph and his brothers coming towards yeah. him. Every time Joseph runs out of a room to weep, I yeah. find myself crying yeah. every time as well, mm. overcome with emotions. So let's set this up. We, we alluded to this last week and let's. I thought we could wrap it up again. We have Joseph being brought before Pharaoh as a young mm. man. He has just spent years in yep. prison again, out of um, you know being wrongly uh, wrongly accused of of, of uh, sexual misconduct. He is sent to prison. He is given prophetic uh, interpretations of dreams. He is finally brought. Pharaoh has these incredible dreams, prophetic dreams from God mm. about the future of Egypt, and then finally. Joseph, and I love the fact that we get the fact that he cleans up, has a shave before mm. he's brought before Pharaoh. Yeah. Um, and, and that can sound a bit vain, but no, no, he's being brought before Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Of course yeah. they're going to clean him up. Um, and he is brought before, before him and he is incredibly bold and mm. an incredibly insightful and, and speaks up so eloquently about what the future is going to be. Yeah. From these dreams. Yeah. And and that leads to Pharaoh summing up. It's almost like the summary of Joseph's life where Pharaoh says, well, who else are we going to choose? This, the spirit of God, of the living God is in this man. Yeah. He will be, he, he's going to be brought up here. Yeah. I think that Joseph's boldness in this situation comes from the fact that I think being summoned to Pharaoh's court to interpret a dream, I think he's finally realised, oh, that's what all of that, that this last 14 (laughs) years that I've spent, that's what's going, like it's this moment of, oh, this is what God had in mind, right? Um, I have been remembered. I haven't been forgotten. Mm. God Mm. has a plan and he's waited a heck of a long time. I mean, if you think that God's forgotten you and you're wondering what God's doing and it's all, you know, well, uh, I mean, Joseph waits, you know, no less than uh, 14 years for the fulfilment of that. I mean, you know, Moses waits 40 years for the fulfilment of his purpose, really. Um, 
But he's finally realised this. And I think that gives him a boldness. Oh. Uh, well, I mean, God set everything up from here, so I'm going to interpret these these dreams. But there's part of, is it, there's part of me that goes, isn't it... Um, it like, we, we read that, and in, in, our, in our bird's eye view, all these thousands of years later, we can see that in there. Yeah. But then sometimes... I, and again, I'm, I'm sort of getting to the application before we yeah, finish yeah. the thing. I often think... Imagine if we had that boldness, we had that foresight, yeah. we had that bigger picture view in mind that the the circumstances that we find ourselves in, the times that we are in front of people having to give answer for something, yeah. if we had the bigger picture to go, oh, God's led me through all this bad stuff in my life for this very reason yeah, right yeah. now and I can speak yeah. so boldly yeah. in it because I don't know. I mean, it's lovely to see Joseph as having all that forethought and everything yeah. there. But maybe he was just going on a wing and a prayer and going, I hope this is my chance. Yeah. You know, I hope this is the moment. Oh, yeah. And, of course, he didn't know until he got there. But I think he would have, it would have, the yeah. penny would have dropped yes, uh, yes. at that point. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that the things that happened to Joseph and even the things that happened to us in those times are um, that God causes those things because God didn't want the brothers to uh, do that to their little brother. You yeah. know, um, that was a bad thing that they did, you know. Um, so, and yet the point is, um, so this is where I, and I say this again and again, we've got to be really careful with saying there's a reason for everything that happens mm. because it, it implies that there's something reasonable about what's happening when often the things that happen to us are really bad mm. and chaotic and, and it's just part of the, the bad situation that, that we live in. But the, uh, but the life of Joseph and even the words of Joseph are, I mean, the classic thing that we take away from Joseph is you meant it for evil. But God used it for good, yeah. So, I mean, the point is that God sovereignly works through all of the bad Incredible. things that happen and we see that here. And I think, you know, Joseph realises that. And I think part of his, part of this commendable boldness is that when Pharaoh says to him, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you, this is in verse 15, I've heard it said of you of chapter 41, mm. uh, verse 15, I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And in chapter 16, it says, I cannot do it, yeah. Joseph replies yeah, yeah, yeah. to Pharaoh. I mean, this is the moment where he could say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm your man. Mm. But he says, I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Amazing. So straight away, he's not grandstanding God here. He's not playing God here. Mm. Um, to, by the way, to a Pharaoh who did play God. Yes. He's talking to a man <laughs> who claimed to be a God. Yeah. And this is yeah. an important moment because he is saying, I'm not going to make the same claim that you do, Pharaoh. I'm not God. I can't interpret your dream. Uh, but God can do it. And this is where... I mean, this is this beautiful moment of fulfilment where he steps into that mediatorial role. Love it. Okay, this is not God's people playing God, but God's people playing this mediatorial role that's set up from Genesis chapter 12, that um, uh, all the ends of the earth will be blessed through you. So he's mediating God's, uh, God's blessing here, which in this case is the, is the interpretation of these dreams, which is going to basically save Egypt. Mm. And it's 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 beautiful in the in the sense that when Pharaoh we get the retelling of the dreams, you know, Pharaoh says, "Look, I've asked all my magicians; no one knows anything. I can't figure it out." And Joseph replies, "Oh, both of the dreams are telling you the same." Like, and he yeah. says, "God is communicating through you know." Yeah. Like he, he gives the glory to God straight away, 
Like they yeah. both mean the same thing. And here is the solu- here is yeah. the interpretation of the dreams. And not only here's the interpretation, here's the solution. Yeah, that's right. Here's yeah. the wise solution that you should do. And then the response from that is them turning around to ourselves, turning around to themselves, and going, "Well, here's the man for the job." Yeah, and he just jumps in and he knows straight away what it is. Yeah. So immediately, he God gives him the lens to do this, and he admits in verse twenty-eight. He, you know, he says, "It is as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do." So, in the same way as God bless blesses Potiphar's house because Joseph was part of that house. Mm. Now now we see that on a grand scale mm. is God is going to bless Egypt because Joseph is in Egypt. Now this speaks, and I, and, I, and I said in the last episode, that Joseph really is a kind of a, a type or, or a microcosm of the role of God's people generally. Yes. Okay, So this is, we are Joseph. We are wherever we go. We are to bring God's blessing so that our workplaces and our school and our social situations and all the situations that we're in, those situations are blessed because we are in them. And it's not because we're in there trying to play God. It's because we're in there as mediators of God's blessing. If we go into those situations yeah. trying to play God, oh. we will. We, 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 and that's why so many situations are a disaster in the first place. But it's also knowing, and this is the this has been the takeaway. My personal mm. takeaway. Joseph knew what God had given him. Yeah. He knew what was in his tool chest. You know what I mean? Yeah. He knew what was in his repertoire. For him, it was, I would say, two things in what we've read in yeah. the life of Joseph. I mean, he's 30 years old here, yeah. right? He's 30 years old. We've known him from the time of 17 yeah. right through to 30, you know, 30, that 14 years. And he has an incredible confidence. He has an incredible confidence yeah. in being able to, but it's also definitely tied in with a confidence in that God speaks to him in the interpretation of dreams, yeah, you know, type of thing. And so the takeaway for me has been nothing to do with interpreting dreams yeah, yeah. before anybody gets all excited, has been what is in my tool chest? What has God given me innately uh, in me yeah, yeah, that good, I yeah. feel confident about? Like I feel yeah. confident that I can speak into this and I can be discerning yeah. about this, this and this. And it's a confidence that's built in by God. And this is the interesting thing because he's been here before. Yes. So he responded to another opportunity previously to interpret a dream where the same thing happens. There he could claim, you know, like God-like status and take all the glory for that. But he actually, he's faithful in the small thing. And so now the big thing comes, he's ready for the big thing. So, and that is how he is equipped because God has developed that in him before. And so even though he was in a really dark situation in prison, he didn't give up on God. And because he didn't give up on God, he still had his faith in God, which enabled him to interpret the dream of the cupbearer and the uh, and the baker, which then set him up for the confidence that you're talking about exactly. to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's through the small things he was able to be there. So we get Pharaoh, the 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 ruling power of the of the you know the then universe turning around and saying, right, you're going to be my, my two I see, you're my second in charge, yeah. Joseph, um, and basically turning him into an Egyptian. Yeah. You know, like giving him an Egyptian name. Yeah. I'm going to give you an Egyptian wife. Not yeah. only an Egyptian wife, this is the daughter of a priestess, a high yeah, priestess yeah. in the Egyptian system. Yeah. So that is an honour, honour. So honor, nobility, like, yeah. He's no, married into the nobility. Yeah, yeah, you know, type of thing. And you think, oh, my goodness, because... We all which, which, by the way, just say something about that. That that is to really, in a way, is to secure his position. Yes. 
so, so Joseph really becomes part of the nobility. His, his children, Ephraim and Manasseh, or well, Manasseh comes first, then Ephraim, um, are both born to this uh, Egyptian woman. I mean, that relates to the question we, we, we asked before. Yeah, we asked I thought before of that, I thought of that, but yeah. they're still re- reckoned as Jewish because Joseph is their father. So that's why I say this reckoning through the mother comes later Yeah, uh, because you don't see that here All right, there's, there's the first problem with that, <laughs> that issue. We have Joseph not fitting that pattern yeah. of the Jewishness coming through the uh, female line there. Yeah. So, uh, so we have Joseph at, at, the end of, at the end of the chapter there. Um, we get Joseph roughly at about 37, 38 years old. We get him, you know, we've, we've watched mm. him, you know, in, as a young teen, you know, success in his early 20s, prison for years and yep. years, back in, in before the court. And in, in, in the life of his 30s, he finally marries, has these two children, is put in charge of everything. And not only does what he say come true as far as seven mm. years of incredible produce, Yep. An incredible wisdom in securing the grain and everything like that and housing. Uh, they it's beyond even mm. what Joseph was prepared for. Yeah. By the end of it, we see that even Joseph can't keep track of how much bumper, you know, yeah. stuff there is in the land. Yeah. That's right. I mean, it's interesting if I could just point out some details here at the end of this conversation of Pharaoh with oh, yes. with Joseph. First of all, Pharaoh says, Can we find anyone like this man in whom is the spirit of God? So, you know, Amazing. it's like through the mouth of Pharaoh, there's this kind of prophesying over, over Joseph. Yeah. And that's, I think, a really... Because, again, if Joseph is, is to be this a type of the God's people as a whole and ultimately God's people now, uh, the church, you know, because this is a prophetic picture. Yes. Joseph's life is a prophetic picture of the final fulfilment uh, of the Abrahamic promise, yes. which is coming about in this age and at the end of the age when Jesus returns, right? So, and, and even here, you know, where Pharaoh says, talks about him being filled with the spirit of God. Amazing. And, of course, this is a picture of, uh, of us. Um, and then uh, he says to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. Uh, you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are submit to your orders. I mean, this is, he's giving him... A lot of power here. That's interesting. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Mm. Now, this is interesting because, in a sense, in ancient Israel, the highest a king ever got was two IC to God, mm. to the throne of God, in a sense. that They were always to be conscious of that, which is why the prophets and the priests, in a sense, were on equal footing with, with the king in many respects. Yeah. There, in, in ancient Israel, there would be this kind of three-tiered... Um, uh, not tiered, but this kind of threefold leadership, prophet, priest, and king. And it was understood that the king was second, you know, in charge of everything, only with, only with respect to the throne of God uh, mm. would, um, uh, you know, th- that's the qualifier to that. Yeah. So it's interesting that this is, again, this is a pattern here yeah. that's established in Joseph's time. Uh, wh- whether or not that's going on here, I just uh, recognise that that becomes an important idea later on. So we finish up here. Let's wrap up with yeah. this. At the end of 41, uh, Joseph has the seven years has gone really, really well. Then the first of the year yep. of sap famine begins. Yep. People's personal, you know, things yep. go, starts, their crops are beginning to fail. The famine is coming in. The people are crying out to the Pharaoh, help us. Mm. And Pharaoh goes, 
Joseph, yeah, it's your time to shine. So Joseph steps up and starts meeting, meeting, yeah. you know, out the out the food. The land, the surrounding countries, all are now lining up to. And Joseph, if he was powerful before, yeah, oh, he, now he's he, really powerful. Now yeah. he is uber he is in control of people's life yeah. and death now and i think there's even again we have this prophetic moment when everyone comes to pharaoh and pharaoh says to everyone it says in uh, verse uh, 55 here of chapter yeah. 41 uh, when all egypt began to fill the famine the people cried to pharaoh for food then pharaoh told all the egyptians go to joseph <laughs> and do what he tells you Amazing. I mean, this is, you know, this, this prophetic picture, this is so consistent with this prophetic picture of all the, the nations will come to your light, you know. Uh, so we have here all the nations coming uh, to Joseph. And it says in verse 57, and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was so severe everywhere. And so we have this fulfillment, this typological fulfillment because it's not the ultimate fulfillment, mm. but in the terms of Genesis, this is where the beauty of the symmetry of the book of Genesis, because we have the story of Genesis beginning in chapter 12 after this 11-chapter prologue, um, and where God says, uh, I will bless you and through you all the ends of the earth will be blessed. And here, all the ends of the earth, of the known world, are blessed as they come uh, to Joseph. So it's this wonderful moment of fulfillment here. And I think, and to close, this is a beautiful reminder for us. I mean, I would encourage us to live in this story like we are Joseph. The whole point is here is that Joseph embodies the covenant to Abraham, the promise to Abraham. This is who we're meant to be. God wants to bless people through you and I and everyone listening so that he will be known and glorified in all the world. you've got to know me a little bit over the time we're doing this podcast because I'm I'm given to a bit of hyperbole every now and then you know I do I do you know overstate some things but I tell you what this story of Joseph at the end of end of the book of Genesis Joseph and his brothers coming back together it really is one of the greatest stories in the Bible and what a way to finish this book of beginnings what a pattern this sets up for us for the rest of the word of god it's amazing i absolutely love this story when you're listening next week on next week's show I, i'm warning you now i'll be having it with me you better have them as well you bring your box of tissues as we come to the climax of joseph and his brothers we've only got two more episodes left for the book of genesis can you believe it it's almost almost over and then we head into the book of exodus next week thank you so much for listening see you then at thrivetoday.net.au bye thanks for listening to another episode of thrive deeper matthew and dj would love to hear your questions and comments about what you were reading in god's word and in thrive the easiest way to do that is to head over to thrivetoday.net.au Deeper is on Facebook. Just search and like Thrive Today page for all our latest news. Until next week, our prayer is that this podcast will inspire you to read God's word and thrive. <laughs>